Welcome to Jams Pod, brought to you by the Joint Academic Microbiology Seminars. This is your host, Lucy Semenek, and producer Amy Kane. And today, in our Antimicrobial Awareness Week special, we'll be speaking to Slade Jensen. Slade is an associate professor in the School of Medicine at Western Sydney University and a group leader of the Antibiotic Resistance and Mobile Elements Group, based at Ingham Institute for Applied Medical Research. He is an expert in microbial evolution and acquisition of antibiotic resistance. Hi, Slade. Thanks so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So we just wanted to start off by asking you, what was the catalyst that drew you towards studying antibiotic resistance? Well, it was actually a little bit opportunistic. Um, I did my first postdoc in cell division, uh, working on Bacillus subtilis with Liz Harry, actually. And um, the funding was running out and I went to the uh, ASM National Conference and um, I saw a talk by a guy called Neville Firth. And um, was quite interested. I had a, did my PhD in sort of horizontal gene transfer and found it quite interesting. They weren't looking at resistance per se, but they were looking at the mobile elements that move resistance around, uh, specifically plasmids. And I thought that was pretty cool. Um, and so I, I talked to Nev and they had some funding and the, the rest is history. I did a postdoc, did a couple of postdocs with Nev and then moved into the position that I'm in now. Yeah. Great. So... Why did you choose to study in particular MRSA or Golden Staff? Okay, again, a little bit like the like the bug itself. It was a little bit opportunistic. Yeah. Um, that that's the the main bug that uh, Neville and, and Ron Scurry's group at the time were working on. Um, and again, I was already working in sort of the gram positive area, and uh, so I, I just sort of slotted into that, and um, obviously maintained my interest and, and kept on going working in, in gram positive. So staff and and also doing a little bit now in Enterococcus as well. Great. And why is it called golden stuff? Ah, it, because it produces a, a golden coloured uh, pigment. Okay. And is there any reason for why it's more notorious than all the other okay. antibiotic resistant bugs? I don't know whether it's more notorious. Or is it quite notorious? Days. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's quite <laughs> notorious. I think it's it's multiple factors. Um, staph uh, is found on about 30% of the human population carried on their skin or in their in their nose. Um and it tends to be an opportunistic pathogen. So it's problematic because it uh, it's very good at accumulating resistance, developing resistance or accumulating resistance determinants, and it also carries a number of, uh, you know, virulence pathogenic factors as well. So those things in combination um, make it quite um, quite a problem in the, in the hospital setting. Yeah, it just has the most nicknames out of any bacteria because it also is called MRSA. MRSA, yeah. And Golden Staff, is that all? Golden Staff... I think they're the main. Well, it's a super bug, yeah. yeah, (laughs) If you like that term. (laughs) So, over the years that you've been studying antibiotic resistance, what are the most clever strategies that you've seen bugs develop for antibiotics? I think bugs are pretty amazing. I think all of the strategies, really, whether it's you know, it's it's preventing the antibiotic from entering the cell by either repelling it with charge or or changing its its porins, or you know, whether it's developing uh, or blocking. Um, protein synthesis or DNA synthesis. So I think they're all quite interesting. For me, the, the sort of the more interesting aspect sort of couched around that is the way that bacteria are masters of adaptation. You know, they can very quickly develop uh, resistance, whether it's either by changing their DNA during the normal, you know, process of replication, or more interesting to me even is the fact that they can become resistant to multiple antimicrobial classes in an instant by picking up uh, DNA exogenously from the environment or being transferred from other bacteria. Yeah, that would be so cool if we could do that. Just like grab like a hundred genes at once. And yeah, just, yeah, like, yeah. Who knows yeah, what we would look yeah. like? Um, now I can eat 
oil or something. Like, We're not what? that adaptable. You know, yeah. Whatever floats your boat, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so speaking of um, pandemics that we're in, um, what is a antimicrobial resistance pandemic looking like for the future? Like how soon is it going to happen or what will the measures be taken? What to, bugs like, will yeah. be causing it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That kind Interesting of thing. question. I think you talk to clinicians and they say, because I'm not a clinician, um, but they say we've stepped, already stepped over to that threshold. You know, they're already seeing uh, bugs that are, you know, have extreme or, or pan resistance to, to antimicrobials. Um, it'll look different to obviously the current pandemic that we're in. Um, a lot of the a lot of the um, multi-resistant organisms, are re- you know, they're not spread by droplets; they're spread by contact. Um, so I think um, they're easy to control the spread in that respect. Um, but um, you know, it's going to be a big issue for people that. Uh, you know, have immunosuppression. Um, that's that's one big big issue. You won't be able to do a lot of invasive procedures and so forth if you, we have bugs that are that are totally resistant. Um, you know, it also obviously creates a danger too with just even a minor scratch or something. If it becomes infected, then you know that's going to be untreatable. So you'll get high mortality rates, but the infectivity rate I don't think will be as high as what we're seeing with something that's more easily spread, like um, the current uh, coronavirus. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, when you get like a little scratch it definitely can become infected and uh, i've noticed that there's silver containing bandages and honeys and yeah they're coming up with all sorts of interesting um, interesting ways to to cope with that um but it's i think it's hard to predict um i mean i think in the in the u.s at the moment the numbers of people that uh uh, you know it's in it's in the millions i don't know whether it's about 2.8 million or something um from you know resistance associated infections I'm not sure what sort of numbers we'd see in that situation. But we certainly get asked this question a lot, but I think we certainly we've stepped over that threshold and, you know, rates of um, resistance are increasing. And that's unfortunately coupled with the fact that big pharma now, they're not really interested in developing antimicrobials. So I think that's the other side of the the coin that's problematic is that resistance rates are increasing for, you know, for bugs like, I don't know, you know, vancomycin resistant enterococci, MRSA and various other bugs as well. Um, but we're not, we don't have that pipeline of development anymore like we did back in the sort of golden era of antibiotic discovery. So it's a, it's a twofold thing. And it's just not financially viable for big pharma to invest millions of dollars into development um, when antibiotics are one of the only drugs that affect cure. So, you know, we may take an antibiotic for 14 days once in our life and never take it again. So that's not great compared to other drugs that, that companies make, like something like, I don't know, Lipitor, for example, which you take for cholesterol. Once you go on that, you're on it for the rest of your life. Mm, that's true. And that's coupled with the the other side is that, you know, you develop poor millions of dollars into development and a bug may become resistant to them. So they're just not. So there's been a big de- decrease in development um, and increased rates of, of um of resistance. Yeah. I mean, it's also a lot more difficult now to discover new antimicrobials. Yeah, we've found a lot already. So yeah, yeah. I mean, they used, still- what did they used to do? They used to go and dig up some dirt and, and grow that up in a big incubator yeah. and isolate compounds and see if, but, you know, that, that sort of easy discovery is now. Um, so you don't think that there's any, like, little pockets in the rainforest? Or, like, where do you think there's still stuff that can be discovered that's, like, antibiotics waiting there, ready to be? 
Yeah, yeah look, I think, I think in isolated areas there's that potential there to discover and whether it's a rainforest or whether it's other sort of extreme conditions, I guess there's the potential there to find something that's not, you know, spreader. I mean, bacteria have been de developing resistance for millions of years, right? Mm. Because um, most of the antibiotics we use are, are naturally derived from, from other microorganisms. Um, so I think areas of isolation, potentially, like, like a rainforest or, you know, extreme conditions or something like that. Maybe Mars. <laughs> yeah. But I think also there are just more commonplace areas that we just haven't tapped into. And there's some people that are starting to do some really clever science way above anything that I would, you know, do, but they, you know, they of looking at common areas, you know, do, whether it's bacteria in your mouth or something like that. And they've developed some crazy techniques that, uh, that are discovering, you know, potentially new uh, drugs and things. So I think, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. I think there are areas there um, for, for new discovery, definitely. Sometimes you just look like what, what's right in front of you and you can find. Yeah, yeah. you just got to know how to how to do it. Yeah. yeah, like the classic Fleming, like fruit mold coming in, like literally landing in his like sink. That's very, what we need. Very cool. More of that, yeah. And do you think that um, with the COVID pandemic and some of the deaths and things like that, <clears throat> do you think that um, it's actually helping to shine a light on antibiotic resistant infections or do you think, what do you think the effect of the COVID pandemic has had on antibiotic resistant bacteria, I guess? I don't know whether it's had a, I don't think, know whether people are thinking about antimicrobial resistant resistance and, and, and resistant bacteria, but I think it is making people think about hand hygiene and infection mm -hmm. control in that respect um, and how things, are, so I don't really think they think about it by touching this or touching that, that you can pick up a bug and a, poten a potentially dangerous bug. And so I think it's making people think more about that. So I think that, you know, is, is sort of built into that that way of thinking. But I don't, I don't know whether they're thinking about resistance per se mm. any more than, than previously. Yeah. So I think you're right that um, at least this whole pandemic has shown that one uh, microorganism can shut down an entire world. So maybe we should take the other ones a little bit more seriously. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's like, what's that? Um, War of the Worlds? No, no. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> is that a favourite? Yes! No, no, it's like, what's that? Um, there have been lots of, you know, movies about, you know, pandemics and things. And what's that one with... I'm um, Legend? No, oh. with Matt Damon in it, I think. That, uh, oh, uh, Contagion. Contagion. Cont yeah. I think that's a that's probably one of the better ones. But it, that's, it is. it's really good. If you go back and watch that, that movie, is that, you know... The, the way they do the camera work is they focus, they linger on all the high touch. So somebody opens a door and then oh, the camera lingers on the door yeah. handle. You yeah, know, so people about, can visualise yeah, the yeah. microorganisms yeah, there. Yeah, so I think people are thinking about that. You know, that more was a really now, good, yeah. but they're thinking about that more oh. now because of because of the current pandemic. We're seeing yeah. the invisible now. Yes. I think as, as a microbiologist, you tend to be very aware of what you're touching and what you're breathing on. Yeah, I mean, we are, but, but the general public, yeah, and I, I don't exactly. think they... So I think it has made them think about that yes. more. So I think that's been a positive thing. We're passing thing. on the, good, the yeah. paranoia of watching everything that you're touching and breathing on to mm. the, the rest of the public, which yeah. is good. Yeah. It's a silver lining. Yes. <laughs> Everyone's nice going to become a, a microbiologist. Line, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So Slate, we should have asked you this in the beginning, but um, can you describe how your research is trying to tackle antibiotic resistance? Okay, we do a few a few different things uh, in this respect. Um, we look at mechanisms of resistance. Uh, we don't do a lot of that, but I've got a, a, a new student uh, that's looking at um, adaptomycin resistance in vancomycin resistant enterococci, for example. 
we've looked at um, in the past. We've sort of toyed with things of the how you can utilise genomics to help you in this. And so in many, many years ago, um, because of our association with Liverpool Hospital here, we've got access to bugs and they'd come to us and saying, oh, we've got this this outbreak or it's it's very resistant and we've been able to to sequence them and, and, and you know, d- define the resistome and, and done a little bit of work in uh, sort of outbreak investigation. We don't do a lot of that now, though. That was sort of in the early days, and there are a lot of clever people with lots of funding and resources that are, and they're building databases and things and doing that sort of stuff now. But genomics has really sort of come into the fore with that. So we've done a little bit of that stuff. Um, we do a little bit of collaboration with industry with respect to developing or looking at uh, novel sort of compounds, antimicrobials. So coming at it from that angle. And then my true sort of passion, which unfortunately I don't do a lot of because it all comes down to what you get funding for, right, um, is looking at the mobile elements that actually move the resistance determinants around. And as I was saying before, bacteria are amazing, are masters of adaptation, and they become become resistant, you know, in an, in an instant to, to multiple classes. So it's looking at, we have some projects looking at um, the biology of, of these uh, mobile elements and, and how they work to maintain uh, resistance determinants. So you can stop them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if you understand those processes of those, like plasmids, like, um, you know, replication or regulation or replication or, or partitioning, which is a mechanism where it makes sure that these mobile elements get inherited when cells divide. And if you understand those processes, maybe you can develop ways to um, to to interfere with them. So to, and that would then stop potentially the maintenance and spread of uh, antimicrobial resistance. Yeah, it's a bit out there, but you know. No, it's, it's all, you're it's looking all. at the thing they do mo- most is sharing their genetics with each yeah. other to to spread resistance. So that's that's the source, really. Yeah. So we, we I guess we're coming at it from a few different angles. So what are the up-and-coming different strategies that you're seeing with, um, are there any synthetic methods being used to tackle antibiotic resistance that you know of? That Yeah, I mean, I guess with the, with, the, um, with the way of combating resistance, I mean, fast therapy is obviously a big thing that's, uh, yeah. that's come up that people are looking at uh, and researching. Um, yeah, people are doing all sorts of funky things, you know, yeah. they're, developing compounds that might, you know, interfere with biofilm formation or all sorts of things and they're coating surfaces with them and so they're trying to stop bugs, you know. Adhering to them. Adhering yeah. and then, you know, once bugs here that's and, and, and cluster together, that's the way that they can then promote transfer of resistance and so forth. Yeah. I haven't, yeah, there are lots of different things. There's so many different things, yeah. yeah. And even like uh, labelling antibiotics, like fluorescently labelling so you can track how the bugs are responding to drugs. Yeah, I mean, that's more of a... That's just more of a tracking resistance yeah, yeah, rather yeah. than, like, developing, developing antibiotics. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I presume cost of developing would be millions to, to billions. When you when you look at, you know... The, the time. Yeah, you look at from, from the beginning, from the discovery, the development, and then moving into clinical trials, it's, there's a lot of money involved, and that's why um, companies, as I said, have moved out of... Well, big, big companies... So a lot of the a lot of the drug development now is being done by small biotech and by academia, yeah, uh, yeah. and often in, in in partnership, and they work up a they work up a compound. And big pharma are happy for this. Let them do all the the legwork in working up a compound, and getting it to the point of clinical trials, and maybe even going through phase one. And then, then they might come in at that point and then buy that. So this yeah. potential for a lot of money to be made if you can. But a lot of that early 
development now, I think it's been done by sort of biotech and academia. Yeah, yeah. And if you can imagine how sort of, to put that into perspective, if you have like anti-cancer drugs, there's like literally thousands in the pipelines right now. And it's predicted that antibiotic resistance will be a bigger problem than cancer. So um, the fact that, you know, there's not many in the pipelines that pharma companies aren't getting involved earlier is actually a problem for Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There are very there are very few new drugs that are coming down in the development pipeline. Who do you think will drive successful antibiotic development? Like do you see it being pharmaceutical companies, academia, do you see it being charities? Like where do you think it's going? I think it's going to be academia and probably uh, biotech, so you know, small biotech type companies. Mm. Um, probably going to be driving those as I said, driving those initial stages of of discovery and development. And then they'll get snapped up by big pharma because they're really the only then because it's expensive to put them through clinical trials and for, so forth. Um, that big pharma then will, and you, you see that now that such and such has snapped up a, a, a compound. Um, but uh, and, and it's beneficial to big pharma to do that because then they don't have to spend all that money on that early those early phases. And again, as I said, the antibiotics don't tend to be that necessarily that profitable for big pharma because of the issue of resistance and because of the issue of the fact that, you know, we may not or very rarely use an antibiotic in our lifetime. So in order to get pharmaceutical companies involved, I guess you need more money. So would you envision that? Do you think that a better option would be having the end user, i.e. the patient paying more, or do you think it's better to have governments or subsidies for the pharmaceutical companies? No, I, I think, and there are, they are doing this. I think governments need to subsidize and, and support that development pipeline more. And there are, have been a number of acts put into place in the states and, and 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 so forth, where they are now. You know, they're putting incentives, they're reducing costs, um, they're sometimes shortening the time of development. So all those things that actually have you know been put in place and are being put in place. So I think that's important to entice you know, big companies to, to um, be involved in development and so forth. Yeah. Mm, it is interesting that antibiotics are so cheap for the end user, though. It's one of the cheapest drugs and it's one of the mo- most life-saving drugs. Mm. Like, it's cheaper to buy antibiotics than, you know, cough medicine or something. It's Yeah, yeah, yeah and because, they, I mean, they often get subsidised, don't they? So, yeah, um, at that end point. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a problem, though, but um, I think... I think it's you know it's multifaceted as we as we said you know it's multifaceted why we're at this point, and you know people like to jump in and say oh it's this and that and the other but I think it's we're at this stage because of multiple reasons it's it's overuse over prescribing overuse but also overuse in sort of agriculture and and vet practices and things and so forth as well it's misuse so not taking um, uh, your antibiotics properly. Um, or sharing them. <laughs> or sharing them, that's right, that's right. Saving them for later. I've heard in some yeah. countries you can actually go in and just, you know, without a script and you can just buy like one or two tablets over the counter. Um, so I think that's, you know, that's an issue there as well. Uh, it's, you know, it's poor infection control that promotes spread, poor sanitation, hygiene. So it's all those things that I think um, have Which contrib- one do you think is the most? I'll probably uh, probably over-prescribing uh, misuse, I think, is... is you know, really, so, you know, you've got to, you start, if you don't know what's driving infection, you should start broad. But then as soon as you know. Like broadly, like. Yeah, broad spectrum antibiotic. Oh, yeah. So an antibiotic that, uh, sorry, an antibiotic that, that targets multiple organisms. Yeah. 
Uh, and then you should go narrow as soon as you can. So a narrow spectrum that only really targets the, the class of bug that's that's causing the infection. Yeah, it's a bit like using a big sledgehammer. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Nice. That's right. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, you more broadly, you promote the and, and, and any sort of overuse and everything, you know, it, it, it creates a selective environment mm -hmm. uh, that can select out resistant bugs. And that's a problem because, you know, we, we, we excrete bugs we excrete antibiotics that are still active and that gets into waterways and so forth and yeah yeah so it's multifaceted but i think probably that's the main driver uh, of of why we're at and i think i think sort of historically as well is that um you know during the golden age of discovery so going back to the you know the 40s uh, 50s is that they discovered an antibiotic and they introduced it sing for single use and allowed develop, you know, it's a resistance developed, and then they discovered another one, introduced it, rather than it would have been ideal that we could use combination uh, yeah, type yeah, approaches. Yeah. Uh, would have probably reduced at least, it's still developed resistance, but, you know, reduced the rate rates of emergence and so forth. So we're just catching up with that now, doing the combination therapies. and Yeah, so people should be looking at that, shouldn't they, Amy? Yes, yes, this is part of my research. I look at combination therapies, which I think is really important. Yeah, so we just have one final question for you, and it is, if you had unlimited resources, what would your five to ten year plan be for the global problem of antibiotic resistance? Oh, wow. Five to ten year plan. Well, I think, I think um, supporting initiatives that are looking at um, discovering new antibiotics, because that's, you know, one thing that we... We definitely need, and and the group up in um, Mark Blaskovich's group up in uh, Queensland are doing a great job. Where they've got a an open community uh, type scenario where people that have potential, you know, antimicrobial compounds to send them to them and they'll test them. So I think supporting stuff like that is really good. Yeah, it's it's uh, if you want to know more about the open source drug discovery project, you can listen to the other podcast. From wow, we've got a cross plug. Yes, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So I, I think supporting that type of research is uh, really, really important. Um, I think you need to look at it at, at all angles. Um, I think you need to look at the genetics and the movement of drugs, which is obviously, if the money was just for me, yeah. <laughs> I would I would expand my sort of research into my bio elements and, uh, and uh, yeah, really sort of focus in more on that sort of area. Um, but I think Holistically speaking, you've got to you've got to look at it at, at, at multiple angles. Um, but I think more more drug discovery is 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 really important because we we are running out of of useful drugs. But if the bacteria keep evolving to become resistant, oh, and they like, will, yeah. and they will. I mean, I you know I don't know whether we'll end up with a drug that they can't develop resistance to, um, because you know as I said, I keep saying this: bacteria are, are just really really good at developing. Um, you know, new phenotypes, and, and yeah. one obviously is, is resistance to antimicrobials because they can change their genetic makeup so easily. Yeah. I think it'll be very difficult to come up with something that uh, um, that they can't develop resistance to. That that would be my thought. But I think I think um, you know, using combination antimicrobials um, and, and really just still trying to discover new new mechanisms and new mechanisms of action. For, for potential drugs because there are drugs out there that bacteria are still finding it very difficult to, to develop resistance to. If you take vancomycin, for example, um, which um, used to be a, a drug of last resort yeah. and is now used as frontline treatment for things like staph and so forth, is that staph still is very sensitive to vancomycin. 
Uh, it, you know, it can develop like an intermediate resistance, but I still think that's quite rare. Mm-hmm. But high-level resistance is, staph is even is even rarer. There have been some cases where you get a, a, a genetic um, uh, cluster transferring from Enterococcus mm-hmm. uh, to staph, but I don't think that's particularly stable probably in, in staph. Um, it's just because it's like hard work for the cell to make those resistance. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure of, of why it's not not stable. I mean, maybe it puts too much of a you know a metabolic burden on on the on the cell. I'm not sure of the the reason behind that. Because certainly you can get transference, and there are have been a few examples. I forget what they're up to now. It's be over twenty, I think, occurrences of high level resistance in in staph to vancomycin, where they've had where it's been a transfer event from Enterococcus transferring oh, the right. resistance string cluster to a staph cell. Mm. Um, but it doesn't seem to, you know, it's not widespread. So I don't think that um, phenotype's stable right. uh, in staph probably. Um, so vancom anyway, vancomycin's still very very good. But in that example that you're giving, that's crazy. That's a cross-species transfer. So that means, like, if us humans could start getting genes from dogs or yeah, horses yeah, yeah, or whatever, yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it is. It is crazy. But that's that's again, that's how clever bacteria are, and that's and that's why they're so good at adapting to different different selective pressures and different environments. Yeah, I think we have the smartest bosses in the world, seeing as we work for the bacteria. They are so clever. (laughs) Well, we are comprised of mostly bacterial cells. Yeah. Yeah. What's the ratio now? It's about, well, they used to think it was 10 to 1. Now it's it's, it's more like 1.3 to 1. They've revised the, yeah. Still a little bit more. Yeah. We don't look like one because they're a little bit smaller than uh, human cells. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Is there any antibiotics that target the ability for bacteria to transfer DNA between each other? Well, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think they're probably, well, there aren't any in clinical use, but I'm sure people are looking at that angle and, and developing things. Um, but I don't, to my knowledge, there is nothing clinically available that targets preventing transfer of, of DNA. So in your five to 10 year plan, you could, start to develop an antibiotic that stops the movement of resistance genes. Correct. There that's you right. go. Because yeah, you'd so understand all that's the mechanisms. Right, because I'd use all the money for myself to work on my own. Still would benefit. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, it's yeah. a nice thought. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking to us, Slade. We really enjoyed our talk with you today. It's my pleasure and thank you for having me. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks.